everybody welcome back we're so glad you joined us here for another episode of staring into the sun podcast we are two brothers two different perspectives one a pastor one a psychologist and uh today we're gonna again explore the the space between the beautiful collision of head and heart and see what truth might be found there i'm rob gibson licensed psychologist from colorado and i'm John Gibson, the brother of Rob Gibson, and I am not a psychologist in Colorado. I'm a pastor in Ohio. <laughs> and I yes. can't wait for our... I love that. Yes. You talked about the space between the collision, right? Yeah, like, I was, yeah, I was envisioning it. like an arc reactor, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the space between where it makes the jump and you see the Ooh. light. Yes, then that's what I was thinking. And yes. Energy explodes and yeah. changes us. Yeah. And, yeah, well, I saw that. Is, that what's, is our conversation yeah. going to be explosive today? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. There, there's actually know, with, that, with your calming voice, I don't know if anything could be explosive. <laughs> yeah, I've I've had to train it. <laughs> One of these days, we're gonna have right. to shoot, shoot an episode where I act like you and you act like me. Oh man, I don't I don't know if that's possible. Our personalities are too different, but uh, we, everybody would be able to tell we're, we're fake. But we could try. That's true. So could so try. speaking speaking of uh, of of trying, uh, we we're, we're gonna talk about. Um, uh, I don't know if that translates at all but we're we're going to talk about fear as a motivation uh for transformation so when we're thinking about trying to transform uh we're we're going to talk about fear as a motivator and uh john you were sharing a story with me uh before we were recording about uh about fear and motivation in the church and uh so yeah we're going to start there and then we're just going to see where that takes us yeah so this is something i've i've been deeply interested in as a pastor because i've seen I've seen the effects of the presence of fear in people, um, in their faith journeys, and um, and our attempt to use, you know, I, I think when I look back on the church for the last hundred years, I've seen fear um, being used as a strategy to get people to engage with faith. Um, yeah, a story comes to mind uh, initially here of my wife shares this all the time, but she has this uh really intense memory of when she was a kid she they had an evangelist come to their church and they come for a week and they preach and they had a child evangelist that came and preached at the same time and um, she brought them into the kids room about 70 kids or so they'd meet every night and the kids room happened to be a room where there was like red lights up at the front of the stage and this cross that was backed with red lights and her whole message for the week was to tell kids about the end of times that that brother would kill brother and sisters would kill sisters and you'd have to betray your families and not take the mark of the beast and and if you didn't know Jesus you were going to die this horrible death now children how many of you would like to come and ask Jesus to be your savior and 75 children raise her except for the one you know dunce in the back of the room that was dorking around and wasn't listening <laughs> you know and they get up before the church and say wow praise the lord 75 children yay they got saved today um ironically the same 75 children got saved every day that week i think heather got saved seven times in a week i'm like man you got good and saved heather but it was interesting to me because i see the seeds of what i see in a lot of other people where fear right so this this idea that i'm going to do something so that something doesn't happen to me or just fear as a motivator seems to me that we react to the initial threat right so if there's 
for in this example, the threat was if you die before you know before you know Jesus, you're going to go to hell, right? So that's the threat, and I can fix that threat by having Jesus come into my heart, right? And so that's my motivation for transformation is I don't want to go to hell. So I react and I come to know Jesus. I know a lot of people in the church that have come to know Jesus because they were had this doom and gloom, doomsday message. My, my reality as a pastor is I watch that and I see how it, it is not a great transformative tool because what happens is as soon as that threat abates and goes away, all of a sudden there's no more need for that sort of response. Does that make sense? And you, so people kind of start living in this ebb and flow of responding to threat, um, finding like moments of short change, and then they move away from that reality until there's a renewed threat, and then they respond again. And I've seen it be uh, deeply destructive to people. Eventually, people get worn out of that cycle um, and start to figure out that they're not really changing in any way, and how could they love a God anyway who is only in relationship with them to give them threatening images? And I've been really intrigued about this, and I'd love to hear from your perspective. Mm. How, how is fear a good motivator psychologically? Do you see this in your practice with people? Do you see it bringing change to folks? I know sometimes fear can be a good thing, but it depends on how we define it. I don't know. I'd just love to hear your perspective on that reality. Yeah, I mean, my, especially what you said there, there was a bit there where you said it, it has an impact on the, how the person experiences the one that they're afraid of, right? And I think that's right on because, so, so fear being a good or bad motivator um, is, is more in the, like, that's more in the realm of morals and, and what are the ultimate outcomes as a result of it. But in the moment, fear is a fantastic effective motivator right so uh, fear um, it, like it, it activates our bodily systems it uh, our brain actively keeps track of situations and behavioral adaptations to situations that would cause fear like our brains are primed to help us see and avoid situations that would cause us harm right and they're really good at it. I mean, your your physiological response to a situation you're afraid of results in very effective behaviors. You know, you're running away, um, freezing, or if you're in a situation where you can't do either of those, or you've had training to fight, uh, fighting, right? Now, interestingly, all of those behavioral responses, uh, the, the, they're in against posture, right? They, they essentially mean you are against me and I have to figure out a way to get away from you, right? And so while up front, fear as a motivator is good to make change. Let me give an example. Um, uh, the concept of rock bottom is used a lot in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, which is a, a very um, prominent and uh, for many, many people, very effective approach to treating uh, alcohol dependence. And the concept of rock bottom is Rock bottom is essentially, that's when it becomes so clear to me that the damage that is being caused by what I'm doing is so catastrophic that 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 motivates me to do the incredibly and insanely hard work of stopping drinking um, because I'm so afraid of that, what that does to my life. So alcohol becomes the enemy, 
right? And if you, this is where I think it becomes problematic spiritually is because on the surface, it might motivate changes in behavior. We use this with children all the time, right? Especially when they're younger. Um, uh, fear of pain uh, is often a motivator or fear of disappointment, things like that. Because as parents, we're trying to say, I'd rather provide you this representation of pain so that you're not actually electrocuted because that pain will hurt way more, <laughs> right? And right. so, you know, at the, at the point of, die. yes, yes, at the point <laughs> of the two-year-old getting electrocuted by putting something in an electrical socket uh, is worth uh, using fear as a motivator. However, uh, as, a, as a human develops, we have other ways of being motivated and we can actually think more complicatedly. I just made that up, I think. Um, so, <laughs> yes, I yes. love that. I don't think that's actually an adverb, but it worked. <laughs> Mark the so, stay down in history. Yes. <laughs> so, but, but as adults and as a long-term strategy, I think you're right to question, do we really want to posture with God, if we believe that God is loving, that says, I'm motivated to change because I'm afraid of you. I'm afraid of what will harm me if I don't. Um, and it creates an adversarial relationship that I think ultimately becomes problematic. Man, that's so good. An adversarial relationship. To me, that that is, it just gives image to what I see in a lot of people's faith journey, right? And anytime, and not even just with God, with other people, you know, with parents, um, with authoritative authority relationships, you know, anytime there's an adversarial posture, you have these, um, these evidences of through my actions and activities where I'm running, I'm protecting myself, I'm keeping myself from getting close. I mean, all, I see that in all kinds of manifestations in people's faith journey, you know, throughout the years is if you live in a, a church environment where you're always getting that message, you know, you eventually you, your brain starts to connect this reality. Well, I don't want to be in a, an abusive relationship anymore. And that's what this relationship with God is. It's a, it is harming me. It's making me live in fear. It's, it's keeping me in bondage from living life. And um, it's in my heart, it's not what I see as, like proclaimed in scripture about what our relationship with God is meant to be like. And it actually leads us away from wholeness and leads us away from transformation, which I, I believe is the entire goal of this faith journey that God invites us to is, is to be changed into my best, the best version of myself, you know, but if, but if I'm always living in fear and, and it's causing me to get away from the very relationship that, is has like the capacity to help me be my best version of myself then it's just counterproductive you know and it actually does not accomplish long-term transformation it just and, and i it, it even and we even see this manifested okay so here's another thought right out of this heart of and i don't think anybody in the last hundred years in the church said let's use fear as a motivator you know i think this became a part of our culture but even our strategies of how we get someone saved is defined by this fear we have we have condensed salvation or the way to be so i co we coined this word in the christian faith to be saved right we have made it into a one sentence prayer where you can preach a message <laughs> and then to make it as efficient as possible to, in the moment to get someone who is you know Many and many times in my experience is terrified of what will happen to them if they don't make this decision right now. We've created this form sentence prayer that can get you get the deed done in your life so that you are now safe. When in my experience all throughout scripture, 
a relationship with God in this pathway to wholeness or to being saved, however we define that, is a long-term journey of transformation where I'm consistently over the, the, the scope of my life engaging with a God who wants to continually show me what's destructive and leads me, lead me towards what is best for me. You know, but that, that takes long-term investment, not a momentary decision because I'm afraid of something. Yeah. Yeah. Let me give you a practical example. So say when you talk about it, I think about um, a metaphor I use often in therapy, which is the diving board into the pool metaphor. And, you know, if, if I am afraid of jumping off the diving board and into the pool, okay, because I'm not sure of my competence at swimming, whatever it might be, there's a couple of things that are really important. Um, number one, it's really important that there's water in the pool, right? And if there isn't, I need to be properly afraid of that, right? And I think that's, that's some element here of what you're talking about, where I think faith and spirituality, th- th- I draw this actually from <clears throat> uh, Jordan Peterson, who's an uh, evolutionary psychologist that talks about religion and faith. And he says, it's, in a way, it's like uh, cultures representing the reality in the reality that certain ways of living are disastrous, certain ways of thinking are disastrous. And we want to make sure we pass that on to those that come after us because we've discovered this or we've learned this over many, many periods of time. And so there's things we need to be properly afraid of, uh, like lying, for example. Uh, On the surface, lying is, you know, very effective. Uh, But over the long term, it's incredibly destructive to relationships and functioning and society and all these things, right? So, So anyways, when you're on the on the board, you need to know what you need to be afraid of properly. And I think that's where fear is beneficial. But here's, I think, really what we're talking about is, you know, say you really want to jump off and say you've got somebody behind you like your big brother, maybe. And say he comes up behind you and says, oh, you want to not be afraid? You got to jump. And I say, well, I'm kind of nervous. I'm not sure. And then he just picks me up and throws me off. Right. <laughs> so, so I never did uh, that, by the way. No, he did not. But or, or maybe actually a better example would be he threatens to throw me off. He says, look, if you don't jump, you'll never do this. Your life will be miserable and, and makes me afraid. Now, if I jump because I'm afraid of the person behind me, I actually don't develop competence because I'm not choosing to jump. And there's neuropsychology underlying this where the actual structural changes in the brain result from somebody freely choosing to have courage. If somebody chucks me off or I'm terrified and that's why I jump off, I don't develop the competence necessary because I didn't choose to actually jump. And I think this speaks to other types of motivations for transformation, uh, which is uh, upfront fear is a good motivator to keep us away from the really dangerous things. But when we're talking about really complicated behaviors or lifelong strategies or ways of being, fear uh, as the only motivator, like we said, leads to an adversarial relationship. Whereas if I've got somebody on the board that's supportive of me and encouraging and says, hey, I know you can do it. I'll hang out here with you till you can. If you can't do it now, we'll try again next time. I'll be with you. That is a source that somebody can draw from to, to well up their courage to decide finally, okay, I'm doing it. And when they do it, that develops the transformation of their, of their brain, of themselves. They get confidence. They realize that they were courageous. That's a different type of transformation. Yeah. I, yeah. A lot in going in my brain as you're kind of sharing all yeah. that, you know, and our ability to choose something as opposed to being almost manipulated to make a choice kind of 
um, was a thought was becoming, you know, kind of solidifying in my mind. And as I see that happening in people, you know, it, it, it scares me as a pastor to think that, um, that we as a church or as a people have manipulated people into responses of faith, you know, because it's not authentic journeying. And I think it, it always manifests itself later on. If you were manipulated into a faith decision, it's, it's, um, you don't, you don't have, you're not running towards someone who you believe has the answer for the brokenness of your life. You're running away from something. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I'm trying to kind of process yes. how that looks like, but th- I think there's, yes. there's something deeply profound about preserving my ability to choose and w- within a faith perspective as well. I think, so, okay, if fear doesn't motivate me, what's the opposite of that? And um, I, I love the book of First John. Um, I'm actually actively memorizing the entire book because of my love for it. But it, it, in there, it, it gives this beautiful and simple picture of the true nature of God. And a lot of times, uh, a brokenness in my own faith journey came because I... I I saw God and I saw all the different attributes of God, right? So I saw wrath and I saw sovereignty and I saw justice and I saw love. And I I had a lot of trouble in my relationship with God because at different times in my life, different parts of his attributes became his center, right? And anything that's the center kind of changes the whole being of the person that you're looking at, right? So when I look at God, if I, if wrath is his center, then everything comes out of wrath, right? So his activity with me, his communication to me, his motivations for me all come out of that, that heart of wrath. But the book of first John invites us to see the true picture of what's at the heart of who God is. And it's, it's a, uh, profound statement, but it's it's uh, it's so simple, and it says that God is love, and it, it doesn't say God is just or God is wrathful. It says God is love, and when we when we place love at the heart of God, I think it changes uh, my posture towards pursuing relationship with God or pursuing change, and not even just with God, but with other people. If if I'm I think love motivates me to run towards something rather than run away from it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And it invites me to keep on running towards it. It, it invites me to, to emotions of trust, um, emotions of confidence in the person I'm running towards to be able to provide for me the thing that I need to change in my life, you know, rather than starting with, you better do this or, you know. Yeah. So I've, I've got two questions that are uh, moving around my mind as you were sharing. The first one is, I want you to hone in on why did you choose, why are you choosing to memorize First John? I mean, I hear that and I think, okay, you know, you're a pastor, so you probably should know scripture, right? But memorizing a text, I mean, there's certainly a lot of Jewish history in memorizing the Bible, right? So it's rooted in tradition, but I'm also thinking practically, um, I imagine that's not pleasant. I mean, there, there might be parts you like about it, but that's work, right? Why, what's your motivation from memorizing that text. Why? Uh, it's short. <laughs> <laughs> You're lazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, no. 
<laughs> it is short. It's not it's that only, short. It's five chapters or something like that. It's uh, not that short. Yeah, it's not that short, but it's okay. not one of the to longer give people books context. In the, in well, the to Bible. give people context, if if somebody hasn't read the Bible, you know, <laughs> yeah. is it like three sentences? Is it no, no, know, it's, twelve it's, paragraphs? So if you're not familiar with the script with by the Bible, the Bible is separate out and from verses into chapters. So I'll give you an example. I think First John and this. I'm showing my uh, my own. Um, inability to know all of scripture. All, so let's say that oh, pastors don't know all of scripture. I think That's there's right. five or so chapters in the book of first John. Somebody will tech, you know, type on there and say, you were wrong. There's six. Okay. They're my, I don't, I, okay. I don't have Google up right now or my Bible open. Okay. There's like five chapters. And so for the, the first chapter of John, first John, it has like something like 30 verses or something. Like that. Okay. So this would be like 30 sentences, right? Yeah. So, so you're talking, five, yeah, you know. yeah. Yeah. So, so, so it might be around sure 150 sentences, right? So it's not yeah. insignificant. You, so back to my question, right? Your, your motivation, Why? what mo- is motivating you to do that? Because it, for me, the book of first John, it is, it grounds me to a, simple understanding of something that is profoundly complex the nature of god and i and i see it manifesting i see it's the confusion of what resides at the center of god at the heart of who he is which to me determines his motivations it it also determines for me how i read the rest of the bible how I interpret the rest of what God says. I've had a, we could talk about this in another episode, but well, it fits here. I've had a lot of trouble with the violent depictions of God in the Old Testament in my own faith journey. How good a God who in the Old Testament says, kill this entire race of people, wipe them off the earth, you know, be the same God who I see um, presented to me in, in and through Jesus. And this passage of First John um, gives me reminder after reminder about how the light arrived in the world and w- what it means for me to see that light, to believe in that, in the truth of that light, and not, to not deceive myself, as it says in, in the first chapter of First John, to, uh, don't deceive myself, but to keep continue walking in the light as he is in the light. And, this, it, and with our podcast title, right, Staring Into the Sun, it's First John 1 invites us into this encounter with the true light of God, which is revealed later in first verse or chapter four of first John, that God is love and, and perfect love. It says in first John four, somewhere around there, that perfect love casts out all fear and that it, it, it like owns my heart and it continually brings me back to this reminder that fear has no place in my relationship with God. Because his love casts it out. It, it sends it away. And fear should never be a motivator when we are pursuing things of faith and, and when I, I believe things of who Jesus shows us who God is. And Jesus says that himself. The disciples were all complaining. We want to see the Father. You know, we want to know God. That was the heart of every Jewish man in, in that day. And Jesus looked at him and said, well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like here I am. Look, this. I, you, you think Torah shows you God. No, Jesus shows you who God is. Yeah, yeah and hearing your response, I can hear that, it, it, that it's, not, it's not rooted in fear, right? It, it's not a fear that, okay, I got to know this stuff so that, you know, the people in my church think I'm competent and therefore <laughs> oh, yeah. God thinks I'm yeah. competent. Or it, it's not fear-based. It's, it's something uh, like, like it's a striving. It's, it's something you're, you're after that's very meaningful to you. And as you're saying that, I was thinking, you know, that I, I really think there's a place for fear as a motivator, but I think the place for fear as a motivator is we, 
we need to be properly afraid of our own capacity. Mm. I think that's that's really where it's at and, and where I see what I was talking about earlier in, in AA, things like that. If, if that fear is about God condemning me or punishing me or giving me wrath, that creates an adversarial relationship. Whereas what I need to be adversarial with is my capacity for evil. This ties into oh, maybe yes. another conversation we've had before. I need to be afraid of my capacity for evil. But if, if I'm not precise enough about that, if my fear is just diffuse and it actually, maybe I take somebody else's idea of God and say, that's the way to, uh, to change your life is to be afraid of God's damnation. Then I don't have what you just described. Uh, I approach reading scripture or loving my neighbor or anything else I'm told I should do or is right to do. I approach it with, with a terror, right? And, and that, that is not, that's not inspiring. Going back to my metaphor on the, on the diving board, you know, if, if you terrify me to jump off or you throw me off, you think I'm ever going there again if I have a choice or a chance, or I might spend all my time looking for my way out, right? And so that, that I, I, I really loved as you talked about that because I could hear uh, that, that it was a meaningful love that was motivating your, your study as opposed to fear. Yeah, two other things that came to mind as you're kind of talking there, and we, maybe this is for another episode, but the, I was, <laughs> uh, Morgan will listen to this later. I'm sorry, Morgan, but I'm going to share this story. Um, she, she had a, she has Who's a cell Morgan? phone. Morgan, my oldest daughter. Okay. Um, has a cell phone. I like all teenagers I know that. do. You know, she, she, um, her cell phone wasn't working or something and something about, I just didn't like her, her attitude about, um, entitlement, you know, and wanting her phone. Not Morgan's a great kid and she re- very rarely do we ever have tension, but at this moment we did. And the consequence for her her the tension that arose was that she she lost her phone privileges for a while you know because i wanted her to like understand that it was a privilege for her to have this you know digital device and it wasn't entitled she wasn't entitled to it you know well a couple days in um she she was saying we were having we had great conversation over it and she came down the stairs and said hey dad i was just wondering you know if you thought any more about when my punishment will be over i'm like ah stop right there you know because what's happening here is, is not punishment. I didn't punish you. Uh, you're experiencing a consequence for your behavior, um, but it's not a punishment. Punishment, uh, you know, assumes that I did something to you. Consequence is you owning the reality that you've, this is self-inflicted. If you hadn't done the behavior, you wouldn't have received the consequences of the behavior. And I see this all the time in faith journeys, and I think it is attached to fear, because fear me, Fear of someone means they're doing something to me, right? So a lot of times we fear the punishment of God because of something I did. So in order to not get the punishment of God, I got to stop doing this thing for a while. But it really doesn't motivate me to the core transformative principle that I think faith provides us. Yes, to internalize it. Right. Mm -hmm. So instead of not wanting to not have punishment consequence because i can i can fear consequence and that's healthy like i i can see a a destructive behavior in my life and fear what that will do to me and that's what you're doing with with that moment with your daughter is saying i'm going to try to represent for you in this moment what i see this would extrapolate out to into the future and i I don't think you're properly afraid of that and so i'm going to represent that to you in this moment in the form of this consequence hoping that you'll internalize that Right. Yeah, and I don't want her to change her behavior just because she's afraid I'll punish her. Right. I want her to change her behavior so that she so that she sees that this unhealthy connection to digital devices 
does something to her attitudes and it affects her relationship with me and yes. as the one who has provided that for her it's it's impacted that relationship in a negative way i want her to care more about that than not saying anything so she doesn't lose her phone again does that make sense i mean i see yeah. this all the time with yeah. we we're we're invested here at living hope in a uh, a program to affect the recidivism rate with returning citizens from federal penitentiary so we have a um a, a ministry called reentry connect where we, we guys that are coming out of federal penitentiary for their six months before parole come and we're allowed to engage with them help them get jobs and get all their paperwork done and stuff and we see the reality of recidivism is is impacted in two different ways the guys who find life change see the, see their situation where it's they're not interested in in just being motivated to not go back to jail they're they're motivated to have a, a better life and those are the ones that change the, the guys who just come back and want to get a job and just don't want to go back to jail you know that's like their primary motivation is to not to not have to be in prison again don't they don't last they go back to these old habits in life and eventually they're disconnected enough from the reality of prison upon their life that they do something that gets them back there the guys who are really at the heart of this thing interested in life change like i just i want a better life i don't want the life anymore that i had you know whether it was addiction or whatever it was i don't that i was miserable it was leading me towards brokenness i fear that consequence where's that word fear more than I fear the punishment of prison. And those are the guys that we see not recidivate, not go back into prison. And no, not every time, but the same is true for people who I think are pursuing faith because they, they, they don't want the consequence anymore of their choices in their broken life, right? So they're motivated to pursue the answer to those consequences as opposed to someone who fears doing something that God would be mad at and punish them. I, I just think that it doesn't lead to my best life, you know, it doesn't lead to your best life today. If fear is, if you're in a relationship where you're just doing things, like even in a marriage, you know, if, if you're just, it, it can lead to kind of being artificial all the time and not being really authentic about yourself if you're just worried about making the other person mad all the time, as opposed to being motivated to have yeah. my best marriage ever, it might lead me to different actions than if I'm just afraid of losing that person. Yes, and and I think at the heart of that is, at least on a psychological side, would be th something like um, competence and c uh, capacity or healthy relationship. Or th if if that's what we're really after, then then fear as the only persistent motivator is a major problem. I might need fear to wake me up to something being a problem, um, uh, but. Fear is the primary motivator. It actually, um, it, re it results in a very narrow range of behaviors. <clears throat> Let me give you an example. So I've got somebody I've worked with uh, who, who played baseball uh, in high school. Um, and he would tell me uh, about his success and, um, you, know, kind of, you know, early on in high school was very competent, um, you know, like very good hitter, very good fielder. And then um, they, they got this coach that used fear as a primary motivator, a mixture of fear and then the fear of humiliation because he would publicly humiliate people. Um, and that was his only source of motivation. Okay. What happened, uh, his intent, I think, in that was, well, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of bristle up and fight back and get better, right? Well, 
that's that's fine for the percentage of people that their primary response to fear threat is uh, to fight back. Okay. But for those that their natural response is to freeze or to retreat, what happens uh, is you freeze or retreat. And in this person, uh, his performance plummeted. I mean, just plummeted. He went from being like a 360 hitter to a 185 hitter over the course of the year, right? Um, which is, you know, really good to really terrible, right? Um, like an all-star to being on the bench. Um, and it's this long-standing fear as a motivator does not create the conditions for someone to to have creativity, to pursue getting better, to have courage, to take risks. A lot of times when we're really afraid, we're, we're in a different mode of operating that's just about avoiding danger. Survival, and, right? Yes, yeah. and, and that's, that's good if survival is your target. But if your target is human flourishing, if your target is competence with the baseball bat or being able to jump off the diving board and swim or being able to love my neighbor in a meaningful way, right? If that's your target, if fear's the motivator, um, it, it, it won't, it won't go well. Yeah. I think this gets at the heart of just what's our motivation then for life too, you know? And if, if, if we've lived in brokenness for so long and a lot of people have, you know, where your, your life is just kind of condensed into different moments of fear response and survival moments. You're, Probably you're, for some really good reasons. I mean, I, yeah, I work absolutely. with a lot of people who they're, the people in their life only used fear and threat of abuse as their motivator. I mean, when you live with that for long periods of time, it's hard to imagine any other way of being motivated or of being. Yeah. And this gets at the question, is life then just for survival mm. or is it for something more? Mm. You know, and that's an existential question. But I know... At times in my life when I'm just getting by and I'm just interested in getting past this moment, those are times when I, they're not my happiest, most fulfilling times of life, you know, because the threat of fear is right around the corner or the threat of impending doom or death or whatever it is. Or um, it, I'm, I'm living this responsive life where I can't be, you know, I can't be thinking about what what's going on in my present surroundings i can't think be thinking about other people i'm just it we really like it can't think this, yeah right because it's you're just re- yeah like, on a biological level uh th- this is true in couples when emotions escalate to a certain point um the the prefrontal cortex which is res- you know responsible for helping you think about logic and details and sequences and um to be able to think so- in a sophisticated fashion that shuts down for an important reason it's too slow Right. If, if there's, you know, a monster that's about to eat you, you don't want to reflect on, you know, the type of monster it is. You know, your, your, your brain is optimized for getting away from that threat. So, lit, yeah, literally your, your capacity to be able to think uh, shuts down on purpose um, so that you can avoid the threat. I, that does that idea disturbs me because <laughs> I, I just had a snap to this memory of. Um, and you know this we went to this play we were in youth group right and you probably remember these heaven's gates hell's flames Ah, and we went to this thing where they took you in it's like a hollow it's during halloween you know it's like this haunted house thing and you go in and it's like they present this car wreck and they put you in this morgue thing and like say you died and what would happen to you you know and it's as a you know gosh we motivate people like in that moment 
can you your ability and lots of preachers in that day i'm sure the better you were at terrifying people of hell the more people you got to come down to the altar that night to get saved you know but were those people even able to choose at that point and make uh, a conscious decision to move into a uh, a relationship with god for the purpose of of flourishing or were they just like on survival instinct so much they weren't even really thinking about their choice they just were thinking i don't want to burn in hell yeah like you, know? you yeah like you could replace god with marduk or or uh, or uh, zeus and you would get a similar outcome right it, it, it wouldn't have had anything to do with thinking through what are the uh, you know what are the root foundations of this way of seeing the world and of understanding how to live it, it wouldn't have been about any of that it would have just been well how do i get this hammer off of my neck right oh okay i'll i'll choose that and it seems to me like at the heart of this thing it's just for those of you that are listening maybe this is my challenge to you today is that our what what is it what is your core interest as an individual? You know, are you just going through the motions, find yourself just making momentary decisions to just get by? Or do you need to find your way back to your core reason for life is to flourish, like to live your best life? And, and that I believe faith invites us into that place, but also a correct understanding about how, to, how does long-term change happen and work you know and what what's our best pathway towards really that end goal of flourishing you know and i I think for you robbie uh, maybe i'm speaking out of turn but for you that's your purpose of why you do counseling you know you don't you don't want to just get people by to survive or not live in destructive behaviors anymore yeah that's one of the outcomes that you hope for but really at the end of the deal i from hearing you talk the goal is flourishing like i think the goal would be that you don't have to meet with someone anymore right like, a- abs- absolutely um and it's bad and, for your business but well but see <laughs> but, but see that there there's there's just plenty of hurt and brokenness to go around i mean uh so it you're right on and and i think um i th- i think two thoughts here as we close one is for for those of you who uh, have experienced lives that I've talked that I was talking about earlier, where uh, your only motivator was fear because other people chose that for you. Um, uh, those those of us who haven't had that and perhaps have been able to have space to flourish, we have a responsibility. Um, th- this is uh, the the Good Samaritan metaphor again, right? We we have a responsibility to pursue our own flourishing as much as possible, so that we can then share and be with those who have been terrorized and tormented uh, by this way of being so much so that it's harmed them in in ways that are you know that have caused them great injury. And so, for those who've experienced that, uh, w- when we talk about this. Uh, I guess what I'm hoping is that you hear that that there there is another way, but it's not your fault um, that that it that it is this way. If other people have done this to you, um, and then that leads me to you know the obligation that we have as humans for our neighbor, which is what I was saying. Uh, we we have an obligation to live differently. And this is, I think, rooted in the Christian faith as well. Um, but I just think this is just deeply true, um, that um, we have an obligation to to do it differently, um, both for ourselves, so our life is better, so that we can flourish. But we flourish when other people are flourishing too. 
Um, and uh, so we have an obligation um, to, to find other ways to motivate ourselves um, and, and to not just use fear um, so, that, so that we can flourish together. You know, not just me, but you, uh, my neighbor, the person that's broken, um, all of us. Perfect love. That's right. Casts out all. That's love. We're talking fear. about love. We're talking Perfect about love. love. So find someone to uh, love perfectly this week and maybe we can maybe we can sow a little more love and a little less fear i think there's probably some music that feels that yeah, vibe yeah <laughs> so a little yes. more love and a little, a little less, less fear, fear this week that's the message uh, coming from uh this staring into the sun episode and uh thank you so much rob uh for engaging in wonderful conversation you taught me something today yeah. and i appreciate that that's good yeah. Yeah, it was a pleasure to sit down with you. And thank you all for listening. Again, remind you to hit that subscribe so you can keep joining us in these conversations. Subscribe! That's right. As we continue together to stare into the sun. Grace and peace. The way we find ourselves.